Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, thank you for being here. This is, a, this is our family Christmas service is an exciting time for us to celebrate together as a, as a whole church family. This has, for many of us, has been one of our uh, anticipated celebrations. And, and now this may be your very first time here with us. And so if you're a guest with us today, we're especially excited to see you. And you've come on a great Sunday. This is typically, this is not how it, it goes. We don't typically have the kids in here with us. We actually offer seven different kids' zone classes in the gymnasium. Here's a picture of our kids' zone area in the gymnasium. We have seven different zones that are set aside for kids to learn in, to grow in, to build friendships in. And so if you're a guest today, you'll want to check this out. And the kids have a great time learning more and more about Jesus Christ and how to begin a relationship with Him. Also, if you have students... Uh, junior high or high school students, we have a student ministry called OSM. And so this meets just outside, down the hallway, first door on the left. And so parents of students, you'll want to encourage your students to check this out. Here's a picture of one of the group, like a group picture of a service project that occurred up in the mountains, in our local mountains. And some of our Orange Crest student ministry group went to help serve at a conference. And so our church is about 10 years old. And so we've actually been doing family Christmas services. Uh, This is our 10th year. And I brought a flashback of our very first family Christmas service. So here, here it is. This was our very first family Christmas service. And this was December 2007. Now we moved here to this area, a small team of adults and our kids. And uh, God has been growing our church through the years. Uh, These kids on the floor, one of them is in college now. The other two are, uh, one is in high school, one is in junior high. And so it was a very small group even back then. But we would always pull together for our family Christmas service and we would hear the Christmas story and we would sing Christmas carols together. It was a great time. And so we're we're glad you're able to be here for this as it has grown and developed. We have Lots of kids now running around in this place. And so it, what a joy to see these kids up here singing. I just, I think, you know, there, there's people that met here that have had kids now. <laughs> and their kids are singing. And just, uh, this is this is great for me to, to experience this together. So let, let's pray and uh, before we continue. Father, thank you for bringing each person here. Lord, thank you for uh, the joy of Christmas. And the, the, the time where we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Thank you for all these children, Lord, that were able to participate in, in hearing and sharing with us about the Christmas story. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us, God, as parents, to lay out uh, a, you know, a path for them to follow, Lord, in life. That you would get a hold of their hearts, Lord, fully. They would give their lives, lives to you, Lord. And that you would use them in this world. Lord, speak to us in this time as we look briefly at your word. We pray for clarity from it. Lord, I pray against distractions, Lord, that you would really be able to allow us to focus for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you just saw that, that brief video that the kids watched on lights. on lights. And so, quick show of hands, who has already, I mean, you know, who has strung the lights for Christmas on your house? Okay. Who, who strung the lights on trees so far? Okay. 
Who, who's seen the lights in downtown Riverside? Mission in lights. Okay. There's, there's, there's all sorts of light displays. And, and honestly, light displays are magnificent. And they're just, they're just one of the many traditions of this season. And throughout this whole month, we've been looking at some passages in the Bible that are they're, they're prophetic passages from the Bible written many years before the birth of Jesus. The first Christmas, about 2,000 years ago, we celebrate that at this time. Uh, the first Christmas, hundreds of years before the first Christmas, there was uh, messages from the Bible foretelling the birth of our Savior. And so throughout this month, we've been looking at some of those passages uh, from, written from you know, many hundreds of years ago. And in the Bible, when you read through uh, it, you'll, you'll recognize there's different types, different styles of literature in the Bible. You have, you have narrative accounts, so you have stories about people. You have letters written from people to others in order to give instruction to God's people. You have poetry. You have history. Uh, but you also have a category or a style of literature called prophecy. And so in this month, we've been looking at some of the prophetic verses and passages that foretell the, the birth of the Savior. And the prophetic books are among the most difficult ones in the Bible. They're, they're, far, though, they're, they're far from imbo- impossible to, to grasp, though. They're more difficult, but they're not, they're not impossible to grasp. You can read them. You can make sense of them if you read them. What makes them challenging is that they describe people and places that seem foreign to us. They talk about future events. And so because of that, we might be tempted to kind of shy away from some of these books in the Bible. But they're important. They're extremely important because they contain a number of key prophecies about the Messiah, the Savior of God's people. And then what we've been looking at is how fulfilled prophecy is one of the distinguishing marks of the Bible. Fulfilled prophecy actually authenticates the Bible's claim that it is, it is the inspired Word of God. And so, so far we've looked at a few. We've looked at Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 42 so far, so just... Kind of a quick review of what we looked at. We looked at the entire passage, but here's one part of a very hopeful passage to a group of people who lived in a very dark and depressed region. This group was very far from kind of the spiritual epicenter. They were living in the far northern part of, uh, of, of the land. And so the prophet Isaiah told them that in the future, this is what would be said of their region, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This foretold that Jesus was going to be raised in this northern region. He was raised in the town of Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. And Nazareth at that point was a very uh, depressed and gloomy region. And so we looked a few weeks ago about why that was and what God did to bring light to that area. Then last week we looked at this passage from Isaiah 42. And this passage foretells how someone was coming who would be this, a light for the Gentiles, someone who would bring light not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. So there's hope coming for those living outside of Israel. He would come to open, it says, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And so what happened was these were written about 2,700 years ago. And when God began fulfilling these promises at the birth of Christ, what it did is it began to build people's confidence in God. And so for us, as we read through the scripture, it builds and we can see God 
fulfilling prophecy, it builds our confidence in Him. And that's really important because we've all experienced this. We've all experienced broken promises and failed predictions. Here's a, here's a handful of kind of failed predictions. One is the, the Aztec calendar. I don't know if you've seen this, follow the news on this, but it points, it's like the Aztec calendar is predicting the end of the world is coming. And so it was supposed to have already happened. The end of the world, according to the calendar, was supposed to come to an end, and, and it, it hasn't. Uh, it, you know, this is, this is one failed prediction. Here's another failed prediction possibility. Athletes, top prospects. How many times are there these players, this is some top prospects for Sports Illustrated for 2017, but how many times have there been these athletes quarterbacks, just guys that they're like, this guy's going to be the, the most well-known quarterback. There are quarterbacks that were, you know, they were spoken of, predicted that they would be the very best that aren't even playing the game anymore. They had horrible rookie seasons. They weren't able to put it together, and they're no longer playing in the NFL. Here's another type of prediction. Sometimes they're failed predictions. Hollywood. Hollywood, you know, people predict movies that will be landslide, uh, Academy Award winners, and, and then sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. Who? Who knows? Another, another prediction flying around right now. One of my staff members mentioned this to me. He said, there's a prediction flying around that every kid born now will never need to learn how to drive a vehicle. You know? It's like the Jetsons or something like that. You just step on like some sort of a escalator in the sky and get to where you need to go. I mean, or maybe just everyone will be doing Uber and things like that, so you'll just never need to learn how to do that. I mean, who knows? But there's all of these predictions, and you're, you're like, I don't know what I can really trust. And so when it comes to the Bible, I think we're naturally somewhat suspicious about, can I really trust God? Can I trust, is this His Word, the words of God? Does it, does it really you know, prove the tests? And so when we come to the Bible, this is, a, this is a critical area. It's why we've been looking at some of these passages. In the Bible, there's actually 300-plus messianic prophecies, prophecies foretelling the birth of the Messiah or the Savior of God's people, 300-plus in the Old Testament. And then they were fulfilled. There was 300 that were fulfilled through Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, 300 fulfilled prophecies. And now the chances of one person, the chance of just one person fulfilling a mere eight of those prophecies are this number right here. One in 100 quadrillion. One in 100 quadrillion. That's the chances of one person fulfilling eight of those 300 plus biblical prophecies. It's a, it is a, you know, it's, it's unlikely that, that anyone could really pull these things off. The claim is, though, Jesus pulled off 300-plus fulfilled prophecies, things that were spoken of hundreds of years before his birth. He comes and he, he, he lives those out. Now, it, but when you look at that, you're like, yeah, I don't... It, and th- this ought to build our faith, the fact that he, he fulfilled 300-plus prophecies. Now, this is just one of eight, okay? One of eight is that number. Now, to illustrate this, there was a professor, a college professor from Westmont College along the coast who decided he needed to help people get their mind around what is this probability. And so he said, imagine covering the entire, entire state of Texas in silver dollars. 
to a level of two feet deep. Okay? Imagine that. Huge state, Texas. Imagine covering the entire state, silver dollars, level of two feet deep. Then, that basically, that's 100 quadrillion silver dollars. That's how many silver dollars that would be. Then he said, choose one of those silver dollars, mark it with a sharpie, and drop it out of an airplane somewhere over the state of Texas. Okay? And then, thoroughly, somehow, stir up all of those hundred quadrillion silver dollars, and then basically blindfold a person and tell them, go ahead and go wherever you want in the state of Texas, but there's something you must do. You must stop, reach down into that two-foot deep pile of silver dollars, and try to pull up the one specific silver dollar that had been marked. The chance of finding that one silver dollar in the state of Texas would be the same chance that these biblical prophets had for just eight of their prophecies to come true in any one man in the future. So it's, it's pretty unlikely. Now even more mind-boggling is grasping this. Here's for one person to fulfill with their life 48 of those biblical prophecies, the number becomes even more staggering. That's the, the likelihood of you know, just pulling off 48 prophecies. Jesus did far more than that. It's the chances, one chance in 10 to the 157th power. And I just imagine, I mean, that would probably like, you know, silver dollars throughout. I don't even know. I can't, I can't get my mind around that. It's, it's mind-boggling. Now add to that 250 more prophecies, and you understand what is verified in the Bible. That's what Jesus did. He pulled that off. It becomes impossible for any other person except Jesus to fit that particular sequence of life, of time, of events, of history, of world events. And in the book of Isaiah alone, the book that we're looking at even this morning, there are 22 different prophecies about the Messiah. So on the back, if you want to take out this listening guide, on the back you'll notice what we've done is I've listed out the messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that are from the book of Isaiah. There's 22 of them with very, very specific aspects of his life. And today what I want to do, and I'm just highlighting that so you can check this out later, maybe go through some of those and see how that connects to Jesus and what he did with his life. But let's look at one more clue. This is from Isaiah chapter 7. And at this point in history, God, God's people were divided into two kingdoms. You had, you had Israel in the north and you had Judah in the south. This is about, in Isaiah 7, it's about 2,900 years ago. And there was civil war amongst God's people, not unlike you know, current events in our world. But there were prophets who would give glimpses of hope and messages of hope to God's people who things were looking pretty bad for them. And in Isaiah 7.14, we get a key verse, and we've got that listed there for you on the insert. Isaiah 7.14, you've got a key verse describing the Messiah, once again, the Savior. We see clues about his birth. And this chapter, just to give you a brief uh, you know, summary of the context, the chapter 7 in Isaiah Basically, as I mentioned, there's, there's a divided kingdom. Judah's in the south, uh, Israel's in the north. And Israel in the north has formed an alliance. The king of Israel in the, north, in the north has formed an alliance with a neighboring army. And that, that group is basically intending to attack the southern kingdom of Judah. The southern kingdom of Judah was probably, it's where there was more health. The king was trying to walk with God there. Uh, God's people were still trying to walk with God there. Uh, but this coup had formed in the north, 
and there was a threat coming upon the people in the south. And in fact, Isaiah 7, in the beginning, you see that like this, the king in the north and this neighboring king are starting to advance against the people in the south. And the king in the south is concerned. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And so this is where the prophet comes and says, look, they're trying to take you out. God's not going to let this happen. They're intending to, to take you over and replace you as king and install someone else who will lead this area. And I just want to reassure you, they're right there. They're looking in. They're, they're, their armies are advancing. But God is not going to allow them to, to do this. He's not going to allow them to, uh, to, to have victory here. And so Isaiah challenges this king. His name is King Ahaz. He just says, look, Ahaz, God wants you to stand firm, put your hope in him, wait on his deliverance. Okay? So that's the, the setting. Now look at verse 10. It says this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Basically, since it seems like Ahaz doesn't believe that they're not going to be harmed by this group of people, he's really uh, into doubt right now. God, through the prophet, is offering this king proof that he's going to protect them. He's saying, look, God's saying the sky's the limit. So you don't, you don't believe God? Test him right now. Ask him for anything you want. What does he need to do to prove to you that he is who he says he is and that he's going to keep his promise to you? This is your opportunity, King Ahaz. The sky's the limit. You can ask anything. From the highest heights to the deepest depths. He's given them this huge opportunity. Now look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. He's uncomfortable with this opportunity. I'm not going to ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. He, he, he's, he's like, uh, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I really want to trust at this level. I don't know if I want to put God to the test at this level. Now, something we need to understand is God was not playing a cruel game on the king. He's not playing a game. He's actually quite serious. But Ahaz right here is making it look as if he, he revered and honored God so much that he wouldn't ask God for a sign. He's, he's kind of, this is a display of false humility. He's, when God gives us an opportunity, you know, to trust him, we should take him up on it. And Ahaz doesn't want to, doesn't want to get involved in this. And he's just giving in to more and more doubt. And then you've got verse 13. Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? So Isaiah is correcting the king here. This prophet is saying, you've got a lack of faith. And now you're rejecting God's offer to give you a sign? That's pretty bold, king. But God's going to give him a sign anyway. Look at verse 14. And this is one of the most quoted verses about the birth of Jesus. This is a prophecy in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And here's something very important to understand. God uses signs to mark the way. This is what he does. He points. He gives promises and he gives signs that point the way to safety, to deliverance, give direction. He gives crucial answers. And we've all benefited from signs when we felt lost. And so God's people needed to pay attention to this sign that something was coming. Someone was coming. God was sending a deliverer. Verse 14, when you look at this, going back to verse 14, it seems from the surface that Isaiah is, is directing this message to the king because he says, you know, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
But this is, it's actually, the word you is actually in Hebrew, it's a plural pronoun of you. So he's kind of saying, here's the sign it's going to be for you people. The Lord is going to give a sign to you people. A child would be born to a virgin, a son, and he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now this prophecy is just one, but it's, it took place 700 years before the birth of Christ. So a long time before its fulfillment. And many, though, were aware of this message that Isaiah had, had really painted. And so God brought it to mind when it came to pass. Now let's look at the fulfillment of it. It's in Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18 through 25. And this is the birth of Christ. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. This is, this is 700 years after that prophecy. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public dis- disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The the word Jesus, in in the original language, the Hebrew is Yeshua, and it means the Lord saves. Verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a quote from Isaiah 7, verse 14. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now God himself, he stepped into a very cold, broken, dark, and needy world. And in the person of Jesus, he brought light and he brought life. And he would have the name Emmanuel. And you, the, the name Emmanuel, it's, that is actually not a proper name. It's a description, though, of his character. That he would be called Emmanuel. He would be God with us. And, you know, when we, when we say Jesus, you know, would come to be that, to be God with us. The kids were singing about that. God with us. Jesus has come to be with us. You might be here and maybe you can't really say that Jesus is with you. Maybe you've strung the lights around your, your tree and on your house, and maybe you put a, a star on top of your Christmas tree, but you would honestly say, you know what, Jesus is, is with them, and, and he's, he's with them, and, and he's with her, and, and he's with him, but he's not God with us. Maybe you'd say, I, I'm just not in the us. I need him, I, I want him, but I've not yet experienced or have begun a personal relationship with Jesus. He's not God with with us. I'm not in the us right now. And maybe you can even see his light off in a distance. And it's like we've all been on hiking trips before. It's like going on a hiking trip with a group of people but only having one flashlight. And you're in the back of the pack and you're tripping over everything. And you're like, man, i got to get... Have you ever been in that situation where you need to, you need to get near the flashlight because you keep tripping on rocks and, and tree roots and maybe today it's like, you know what? It's time to step into the light. I need to move out of the darkness that I'm in and step into the light. And I, I'm ready to ask Jesus to come into my life and be God with us. I want to be in, in relationship, in personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to know how to do this, uh, two things I want to direct your attention to. One is this connection card that John highlighted. So if you take this connection card out, this blue card 
on the back side, there's a box on the back, and, and we're highlighting it right here on the screen. You can just indicate on that box, you can check that box, I'd like more info about following Jesus. And if you're here and you've not, you feel like I'm still kind of, I'm just stumbling through things in life and I need to step into the light and get clarity on what this life is all about. And I, I need to begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you check this box, then we'll follow up with you. We'd love to have a conversation with you and give you some things to process, give you some resources to process that decision at your own pace. Also, if you just like to talk to somebody about that and you'd like to uh, get some questions answered this morning, then our staff will be back at this guest and information table. And we would love to just answer any questions you have. We'd, lo- we'd love to help you nail down how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we'd, we'd even love to do that with, this, with you this morning. Even if you would just like someone to pray for you, you can just ask someone to pray for you if you're going through something. We would love to do that. And so as the worship team comes back up, would you consider taking a next step this morning? There's some, on the bottom of, of that white listening guide, you'll, you'll notice these are at the bottom. The first one is this. My next step today is to read and thank God for his fulfilled promises. Basically, spend some time this week, maybe make a commitment to go back through and look at some of these fulfilled promises from Isaiah. And just look at what, what was foretold about the birth of Jesus. Study through that for yourself. Get a, get a firmer grasp on how God comes through and keeps his promises. Next thing on here you'll notice, listening guide, is come, come back next week for, our, for one of our evening Christmas Eve services. And we've got two options for Christmas Eve service. And so if you have celebrations going on during the day, if you have family in town, friends you'd like to invite, at 5 o'clock and at 6.30 at our office in our warehouse location, you'll, here's a picture of what it looks like in there for our Whenever we have services there, it's a little cozier uh, environment, but we can still get a good crowd of people in there. We have kid zone services available for both the 5 and the 630, and then you're able to worship with us on Christmas Eve and then head to your celebrations. And then the final next step you notice on here is bring a friend next Sunday. So for our Christmas Eve, bring someone with you. Bring someone that you would sense. I think they're, they're trying to uh, get answers in their life. They're open to, to exploring what it would mean to follow Christ. What's Christianity all about? And so, if you would consider bringing someone, that'd be great. All around us, all the stores around you right now are trying to capitalize on Christmas. And they're asking, and they're putting their heads together as leaders of, you know, marketing departments and, you know, leaders of these businesses are trying to figure out how how big can we make Christmas this year? And they're they're wanting to make money. Stores like Toys R Us, you know, they're, they're hiring seasonal employees. They're bulking up their staff to attract customers because everyone right now is trying to ask, how big can we make Christmas this year? And so I want to challenge us. How can we turn our hearts this season to keep Christ at the center of our hearts and our celebration this Christmas? I think one great way is to celebrate on Christmas Eve together, to point our hearts in the right direction and to declare joy to the world. The Lord has come. And so let's do that together. And I want to ask you to pray with me. And then we have one final song. Let's let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for sending Jesus to earth. Not accidentally, but intentionally. This is part of your perfect plan that you're fulfilling. God, thank you for including us in your plan, making us making a way for us to know you as Jesus lived a perfect life and then offered up himself to die as a penalty, to pay the penalty for our sins. 
Lord, he, he, he died the death that we didn't have to die. Spiritually, we, we were separated from you. And we had no hope. So God, thank you for making a way for us to know you and to be reconciled and brought back together into relationship with the Father through Jesus. Lord, he's raised us to new life. For, these, for those that are here that are still have questions, Lord, I pray that they would take steps forward in getting their questions answered. Even today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.